Ratty and Cantati. Ratty and Cantati. R-A-T-T-I-I-N-C-A-N-T-A-T-I. Today's episode is brought to you by Ratty and Cantati. Go to R-A-T-T-I-I-N-C-A-N-T-A-T-I.com. It's an online bookshop focused on indie books, zines, and other media that aim to inspire you to change worlds. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I'm your host, Logar the Barbarian. I'm joined by a special guest today, Linda Codega. They are an entertainment journalist. Welcome. Hello. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. Now, you're not just a journalist. You're also a journalist in a union. Yeah, that's right. Um, I am part of the Gizmodo Media Group union and we are organized through the writers guild of america east so that's like when i think of unions a lot of the times i think of like the factory or the steel mill you're not going into a big office all the time with a lot of other workers are you i am not but definitely like my fellow journalists are (laughs) my colleague there's a lot of colleagues that have to go into the into the office regularly but you're right we are we are not necessarily uh the the like typical blue collar worker that you might expect would need a union but we do so i'm curious how how did that work forming a union in an industry like that like we've talked a lot here about some of the things that have been going on there was a recent union formed at paizo and at Mm -hmm. noble knight and some of the game world that we tend to cover I'm curious how that works, a union in a field like that where you're writing things. (laughs) Yeah. So luckily, uh, artisan unions are sort of go hand in hand with craft unions. So we're pretty lucky in that regard. I believe that we first organized in 2015 and we were one of, if not the first digital media newsrooms to unionize. Oh, nice. Yeah. So of course, like there are there are newsrooms that publish physical products like newspapers and magazines and books that are like have been unionized for a long time. But we were the first ones to unionize with an all digital work with an all digital uh, product, basically. So that was in 2015. And we sort of helped pave the way for a lot of other digital media newsrooms to organize. And yeah, we've uh, we have had to be really, really clear about the fact that because you sort of go on online and you see everybody's writing, there's like all these written things online. And and the reason that writers need unions is because a lot of that is devalued and undervalued. And people are like, well, you can just be replaced by AI. And we're just like, I'd like to see AI try. <laughs> like, I'd like to see them try. So yeah, it's just the fact that like everyone thinks that they're a writer mm-hmm. and uh, everyone thinks that writers are replaceable and everyone knows how to do it. So everybody can do it. And uh, the union is there to sort of step up and say, actually, we're highly trained and very like discreet professionals and you can't replace us with people who simply know how to like send emails like that's not it doesn't work like that. So yeah, that's that's why writers need unions. I mean, everyone needs a union, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> everyone needs unions. Uh, but that's why writers need unions. 
Yes. And so you said two things. You said a crafts union and an artisan's union. Could you explain some of that to me? Yeah. So so sort of like kind of what you said with like blue collar workers being like craftsmen and craftspeople, uh, you know, woodworkers unions and unions that are for people who are like really, really specific. I can't think of any like totally immediately, but... So I know that there's like you, you can get a a uh, what is it called if you're a carpenter you can become a journeyman carpenter through right. an apprenticeship program over time right. and I know that electricians like the IBEW has a similar apprenticeship program mm-hmm. to journeyman totally uh, so but those are the kinds of fields that some of those fields are the ones that we normally expect to see unions in electricians or carpenters they tend to be common mm-hmm. now I'm oh, I, what are the difference between all these different unions? <laughs> Gosh, I mean, I think I think it really is. There's, you know, at at their very very core, there is not a lot of difference. You know, it's a lot of people banding together to fight for their rights against large corporations who seek to devalue their work and take advantage of the workers. And I think that that's sort of the thread that unites all unions. It's just it's just that simple. <laughs> that seems to be a common thread here I'm seeing a lot lately. Uh, definitely what? the devaluation of, of folks' work. And if uh, I working in a creative sphere, there's often, oh well, you're you're doing it for the love of it. You're doing it so that you know this is a great thing. You should you should be gl- proud for the moment that you can you can draw this or write this and you get a lot of this stuff. What, how do you, how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh my God. Fuck that. I, I work, I might love my job, but I work just as hard as people who like hate their job. You know, it's one of those things. Like it doesn't matter that I do cool things or like I write cool articles or my focus is on stuff that people are like interested in because I'm, I, I'll admit it. Like I'm fully very lucky to like be, in a position where I am, where I can spend my whole day, like thinking about science fiction and fantasy and books and games and movies. Like I'm really very lucky that I'm in a job where I can focus on something that I love, but simply because I love to do something doesn't mean that I shouldn't be fairly compensated for that labor or that I should simply do it because I'm grateful for the exposure. Like I'm happy to do it because I get to like talk about books all the time. And I love books. Don't you love books? Isn't oh, it great to talk about books? I like and I'm books. just like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to do it for free. <laughs> well, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> so could, could you tell us a bit about how the union thing happened to begin with? So I was most folks, when you walk into a workplace, there isn't a union. Mm-hmm. And if there's talk of union, believe me, from my experiences, it's not always a, an easy thing to get off the ground. So how did you get into what you're doing and, and become a union member doing it? Yeah. So I was not around when we unionized. I've only been a part of the union for about a year. But as far as I know, uh, I believe that the sites that organized under the Gizmodo Media Union group or the Gizmodo Media Group Union were sort of seeing a lot of changes happening at very high levels and realized that there was not really a great way to safeguard workers and their jobs. And that's sort of the, that was the really impetus of it is just seeing a lot of changes happen at like a very, very high level and thinking about trying to like future proof the people that that work there now i think a lot of people like i think one thing that we had talked about possibly discussing or contemplating or throwing back and forth was the idea of freelance unions Mm -hmm. and 
I I think that's something that a lot of folks may have a hard time perceiving how a thing like that would work because normally a union is okay. I work for the big company and we're just organizing there. Do you have any mm. thoughts or insights on something like that? <laughs> Not a ton because I've I've never been a part of a freelance union, but as far as I know, it's one of those things where people are able to you go through the union to find these sorts of individual jobs and assignments and find editors that will. Uh, adhere to like union standard as a the union standard of pay or the union standard of like editorial back and forth so there's a lot of ways that uh freelance unions can work but i believe that there are like a few more hoops to jump through more or less and it does involve getting uh newsrooms to specifically with like regards to writing newsrooms and publishers to agree to work with that union and that's often easier if that you if that other company is already unionized um so yeah it's just there's a lot more steps to go through but it is something that will be able to benefit freelancers if it ever gets off the ground uh and it also helps like provide health care and like you get benefits and a lot of those things are places that are really really important to freelancers and our pressure points to get out of the freelance industry just in general because mm-hmm. the fact that there is no health care as a freelancer is pretty difficult and i think that we're in a society in general i've noticed just lately the things like doordash and uber and stuff mm-hmm. have taken off lots of like people refer to the gig economy essentially yeah. many people are finding that their job is closer to freelance or uh, what would you call it? Contractors tile right. work going on now. Where oh yeah, no, absolutely. they're not the boss. But really, what? Who's the boss? Who isn't the boss? Who is the employer? There's a, a yeah. lines there. <laughs> yeah, honestly, anyone who's like working a gig like Uber, DoorDash, anything like that, where you sort of get orders from a machine there needs to be some kind of reckoning because it's really untenable and it sucks that so many people rely on uber after hours to like make ends meet but also have no way of guaranteeing that will ever actually help you make ends meet it's really frustrating and there's also like oh is it fiber and stuff like that where lots many things are being pushed over mm-hmm. to what they call the the gig economy in general people looking yeah. for those opportunities i'm curious you're you're writing full time yep and you're in the union yep uh, how uh, you said you only been for about a year or so uh, how is it being in the union versus before when you weren't a union worker can you give me yeah, totally. Um, I feel a lot more secure in my job. Um, I work in media, so jobs are never totally secure anyway. But the fact is that my union has sort of fought for like severance packages and has fought for like extended like warning periods before layoffs happen. And the fact is that like having a union and knowing that like if I do get laid off, I can go to my union and I'll be like, I need help and they'll be able to help me out. Uh, So a lot of it just comes down to security. When I first started, when I was hired, I was hired at a a pretty low price point that was really undervaluing my skills and my previous experience. And literally within a week of working at io9 and for Gizmodo, we went on strike because our contract went up. Uh And I was, I literally like, I was hired 
I had my orientation and then a week later we went on strike and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> everything is crashing down. Uh, but we only had to stop work for a week before they realized maybe we should bargain. Uh, and at that, at the like bargaining table, like I fully got like a $5,000 raise because they raised the, like the bottom limit. Cause I was brought in at like the, the lowest entry level, mm-hmm. even though I'm not an entry level journalist. So they raised that floor and I got, I got a bit of a raise and I was like, all right, here it is. Union for me, baby, all the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that raise is nice. It definitely convinces you that the union's the way to go. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, it really was one of those things where I was like, I knew that I was going to be taking a job where I was not going to be paid as much as I should be paid and, like, where I was not necessarily going to be monetarily compensated for the sort of, like, the literally, like, 10 years of writing experience that I had. But I did it because it was a union job. And I was like, okay, at the very least, I know there's some like worker protection here. And then I also did it because, you know, there was part of this about the question that you asked earlier, where it's just like, oh, you do what you love. And I'm like, you know what? This is the sacrifice that I'm going to make. It's like, I'm going to take like a little bit of a pay cut to work at a place where I know that I will love the work mm-hmm. that I do. Uh, yeah. So that so that's been my experience with the union. Um, it's just like job security and like knowing that Basically, everyone that I work with has my back mm-hmm. and we uh, can talk to each other about the problems that we're having and help each other strategize outside of the company in a way that I've never really had before at any other workplaces because it was all very much just like people gossiping around a water cooler. Whereas with a union, it's like we're all in a slack and we're talking inside of the slack and it's everyone giving feedback and it just feels like such a better atmosphere for creating that like team-based working environment that you need in a fast-paced like breaking newsroom and here's the uh, interesting something you brought up there the gossip around the water cooler and all Mm -hmm. that i've been to lots of workplaces in my lifetime where there seems (laughs) to be uh there seems to be almost intentionally at times conflict sown amongst the workers there at the bottom um I, i'm sure. curious to know more about some of that stuff you're saying about the the the, the difference there between the water cooler is that kind of a thing that you're re- referring to or thinking of mm. when you talk about the water cooler gossip or how you <laughs> not really it's it's more one of those things of like finding out information about what what else is happening at the company Mm-hmm. At previous positions, it really felt like I didn't really know much about what was happening until someone like said like, hey, have you heard about so and so? And I'm like, no, what's going on? Whereas with obviously in a, in, in a union and in our Slack, we're able to communicate like really, really mm-hmm. effectively, like with all of us rather than sort of waiting for someone to like run into another person in the kitchen. Okay. That way it says. Now, prior to joining the union the job you have now had, mm-hmm. were you were you a member of the union did you have any union experience or thoughts or where did you did you have any oh i were you ever a oh i'm a gung-ho union or is that something that came on later how does that go um i have always been very uh pro-union and pro-workers rights mm-hmm. just in general i grew up in the south and there's a lot of needs for unions where mm-hmm. I grew up and I spent like four years in Appalachia like oh, oh. and that's 
What part? <laughs> oh, uh, the sort of like the the Blue Ridge Mountains, like Smoky area, Smoky Mountain area in like Virginia. So it was really clear there. I'm like, oh, <laughs> these are very important. So it was one of those. Things. And then, of course, like I moved up to where I'm living now in the Hudson Valley. And like Pete Seeger was in my hometown, like oh. on the regular, <laughs> like he lived here. <laughs> we would see him drive by in this like beat up old truck. And we're just like, my dude, you are about to die. <laughs> like, please please chill out. Um, so it's one of those things where like, uh, that's always been something that I have always supported. And I've always been interested in collective action, just in general, especially as in like my personal life as someone who advocates for like abolition and someone who <laughs> advocates for a lot of like queer rights and trans rights and like uh, the rights of people who are uh, marginalized in a lot of ways that have to do with class and society it's just like okay well the way that like all of this works is collective action against like larger governments and larger powers and larger institutions of authority so it's never really crossed my mind that you know collective action isn't that great I don't <laughs> think it's all it's cracked up to be so it's one of those things where it's like that's, again, like I said, one of the reasons why I, I was really interested in the io9 job is because it was attached to a union and I knew that going in. And I was like, here we go. Now's my chance. Uh, I'm not going to lie. If I found out about a union job where you could sit there and talk about science fiction and fantasy all day, I'd be like, oh, man, this is the perfect thing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm like, I ain't mad about it. <laughs> so I, I, I'm curious how you got into just the type of journalism you're into because i'm assuming sure. you're into some some similar things and niche genre things could you give me a little bit of the the rundown in history there <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's one of those things where i can like deliberately point to like a moment in time when i was 10 years old <laughs> <laughs> when my father took me to go see crouching tiger hidden dragon oh yes why he thought taking a 10-year-old child to go see Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon was a good idea is literally anyone's guess. But we, he took me once and I loved it so much that he took me a second time. And then literally like a year later, the the first Lord of the Rings film came, down, came out. And I'd always been like a, a massive reader of science fiction and fantasy books. But it was sort of like that one-two punch of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then Fellowship of the Ring, where I'm just like, this is what I want to do forever. <laughs> so, you know, I just sort of, uh, I, I write my own stuff. I am a voracious reader and consumer of all that kind of, like all those stories. And I was sort of not freelancing, but definitely like doing side gigs, writing and like reporting on this sort of thing. Um, and I'd always had jobs that focused on writing mm -hmm. so when a job finally like came up that was like writing and all of the things that i love i'm just like i've been preparing for this <laughs> for 20 years <laughs> it's my time so yeah it was just i was lucky that io9 needed someone to fill the position that i'm in when i needed to find a job that's kind of how, how it went down it really uh there's really not a complicated story. It's just like a kid who grew up <laughs> loving science fiction and fantasy because 
their dad loved it and like we watched star wars all the time as a kid and like lord of the rings was my bedtime story for years yeah and, and my family growing up was a lot of the ways i got exposed it was my mother who introduced me to lord of the rings and to c.s lewis initially she nice. had she had the her old copies that she read growing up and she made, mm-hmm. gave them to me i had to read them because her. yeah <laughs> and, but so, yeah. I, but my father also he was one that who who bought me my early comics and whatnot and got me into like Thor nice. and Daredevil and all that coming up. Yeah, so, so thankful for that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm curious. Do you, a lot of folks tend to have because we like to just talk basic, you know, geeky things on here because everybody you know, hit me. What's I, up? I, I'm curious. Do you have any specific veins of like, yeah, that's your big fandom. Those are the things that you really get into the most. It's hard to say because I think that it it really changes depending on like what's coming out at any given time. I think that Lord of the Rings is always very close to my heart because I I grew up on it and Star Wars the same way. It's like that's kind of like the nostalgic thing that has like continued to grow and expand even as I'm you know in my 30s now. So I always love stuff like that. I've been recently really obsessed with the new interview with the vampire show that came out last year. That's that's, that's pretty good. I, it, I haven't finished. Yeah. I watched the first like half. And it's but really it's good. good. It's, really it's surprisingly good. good. You watch it and you're just like, I did not expect this level of like comedy, drama, action, gore. I'm like, it's got it all. It's it's interview with a vampire, like 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 you're like the original one. We are all, I think, we're most of us are familiar with the book mm-hmm. and the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it's 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 a it's not a retelling, but it's kind of a retelling sequel. Is that it's happening? The interview happens again now, so it's a it's a unique take on it, and I think that's brilliant. It's <laughs> so good. I like Daniel Malloy is like my favorite character. I'm just like I want to be him. Like, he is me, I am he, like, end of story. Uh, But yeah, I think that that show in particular right now is taking up a lot of my fandom space, just because it's still so good and uh, incredibly well done. And the, the changes that they have made are very effective and very smart. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, there's everything about the show is good. And it also has a ton of tie-ins to the books. Like I read all those books and I was never like a huge fan, but I, I enjoyed them quite a bit. So I am watching this show and I'm like remembering all of these little like tidbits from the books. And I'm like, this is, this is from the vampire Armand. Like I totally <laughs> remember, I get this reference. Uh, so that's always really fun. Um, I enjoy the Marvel films, but I'm not like a huge I'm not like a huge fan of them. I think Thor and Captain America are my favorites. <laughs> I, 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 not gonna lie, those Thor movies, especially Rag Thor Ragnarok, there's something wonderful about that to me. I really oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok, where they're just like, we are gonna be goofy as hell, and I'm just like, I'm here for it. Like Thor is goofy. Hi, I like uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I really, I really like. The, the Thor movies, they're horrible, they're bad, but I love them. I really like Captain America movies because I think they've done a really good job of sort of not painting Captain America as like the perfect soldier, but as like a good a good man, yes. regardless of like what the military is telling him to do. So I think that those two, those two boys are like my, my boys. Like I would go to war <laughs> for those boys. 
I'm not gonna lie. After I, I've been looking for it forever to seeing mm-hmm. finally seeing Namor on screen. Oh after yeah, seeing him in that recent Black Panther movie. You may be my favorite character in the new MCU. At the first, he's taking he's, sure. he's so badass. He I just like comes him. up, and I'm like, my enemies call me the more, and I'm like, ah, please, like, I'm cool. your enemy. Like, let me call you no more. Like, ooh, bestie. Uh, yeah, he's wonderful. He was pretty good at that. <laughs> cannot, cannot wait to see more of Tenoch Huerta on fit on screen. He's really amazing. Yeah, so I think I think that's the big thing is like, you know, every every year or so something new comes out and I'm just like, oh, this is my personality for the next six months. <laughs> I can appreciate that. <laughs> oh, uh, could you tell the listeners a bit about your work, where they can find your writing, the kinds of things like we've kind of talked about what you've written. Is there anything they should check out and things like that? Maybe a little bit totally. more about what you're doing? Yeah, so again, my name is Linda Carrega. I'm an entertainment journalist. I write for io9, which is a vertical of Gizmodo. That's really where I'm doing all of my writing now. And I have recently covered the licensing disagreement that happened at Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. uh, that I know a lot of people have paid attention to. Mm -hmm. I also really enjoy writing various investigations just in general there's a lot of stuff coming out that i'm really excited about last year i'm really proud of both the coverage that i did for interview with the vampire where i did a lot of interviews with the cast where i wrote a lot about the series in general and like what i thought about it and like what i liked about it and then i think the the other thing that i did last year that i'm really really proud of coverage wise is i wrote a lot about everything everywhere all at once which is, of course, like coming up for the Oscars. And I'm really, I'm really, really thrilled for them. But I wrote a ton about it because I saw a lot of my story, like my relationship with my mom being played out on screen. And I was like, oh, so many feelings. Um, And I just thought that movie was incredibly smart on a lot of levels. And I'm really proud of that coverage because, again, like I got to interview the directors. I got to interview some members of the cast. I got to do a scene breakdown with like some mm-hmm. of the action and stunt coordinators where they were like here's how we did all of this kung fu and i'm like yes <laughs> so i think that those are that's the stuff that i've done over the past year that i've been with io9 that i'm really proud of good that's great I, i've got a question we'll go back to something you brought up and and maybe the last couple minutes here of this episode, I'd like to maybe ask you, drill your mind and get your insight. You said that you recently covered the the whole thing with Hasbro that occurred. And I think that's how I kind of, when I kind of reached out to you with some of mm-hmm. that journalism going on uh, with the open game license and everything. Yes. I'm curious as a journalist, like I think most of us gamers we're aware of what's going on. We're very used to the OGL and things right. like that. And I'm curious if you could maybe give some of some, some insight on what you had written on that or discovered or learned and some thoughts or whatnot. Totally. So I've been aware of the OGL for a while as like someone who's been, you know, writing about and like writing tabletop games for five or six years um, I'd never really paid that much attention to it until last year in like November, December of 2022. There there were rumors that were coming out that they were going to, that Dungeons Dragons was going to change that license. That's when like open D&D first started. So that's when I first started diving into it and like reading it carefully and sort of hearing 
what the community was saying about it. So I'm really grateful that uh, the community kind of like raised the red flag back then, because by the time that I got the leaked OGL 1.1 in January, like early January, I understood why it was important. And I understood why people were worried. And I was like, oh, this is like, this document is confirming everyone's worst fears about what Dungeons and Dragons was going to do. So I was really grateful that I was, I had gotten that education and I was able to report on the OGL and basically break this story open and show people what Dungeons and Dragons was planning to do to that license. Mm-hmm. So then I just like kept at it. I was lucky that my my editor-in-chief, my editor, uh, James Whitbrook, was very, very much like, okay, great, do it. Um, he was very, very supportive. But my editor-in-chief, David Ewalt, um, has actually like written a book on Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> so he he saw the story and saw what it was and he was like you need to pursue this like you need to be this you need to own this beat and I was like okay so I was really lucky that both my editor and my editor-in-chief were like whatever you need to do do it so I did a lot of work to like get sources inside and do reporting on like what wizards was thinking and what they were trying to do as far as like damage control and what they were planning to do like Instead of the 1.1, like, were they going to go 2.0? Were they going to go 1.2? So I really just followed the beat, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, when when that story landed in my lap, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next month. And that That's a phrase that, <laughs> that I, I've, I've read a lot of comic books in my lifetime. And that phrase is very yeah. much one of those, <laughs> those yep. ones I've picked up in my comic books to follow with the beat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's just, that's really what, what led my reporting is just you know, doggedly pursuing what the fuck was happening and like trying to figure out from every single angle, like what's going on, who's making these decisions, why are they making these decisions, who's in the room. So it's just, you know, following up on like exactly how it happened and how it unfolded. And I'm still working on like two or three stories like related to it uh, just because there's still more to say there's still like more more stories to tell about this moment so hopefully those will be out soon but yeah that's that's really it it's just you know i have an observation to make about what occurred and i'm curious if you had any reflections or thoughts on it it seems that one day suddenly uh hasbro released just just like that they put the new 5.1 srd into the creative commons Mm -hmm. at the same time they said they weren't going to change the open game license at the same time hasbro laid off a whole bunch of employees on the exact same day yeah any thoughts (laughs) so i Honestly, I really don't think that the layoffs are connected to Mm -hmm. the OGL. I think that the dip in stock prices, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I think that I don't necessarily think that the layoffs are related to the the ill will that they garnered with the Mm -hmm. OGL. I'm still trying, like, Kyle Brink has been doing kind of a an influencer blitz mm-hmm. where he's going on talk shows on YouTube and Kyle Brink is the executive director or the executive creative director at Dungeons and Dragons. And he hasn't, he won't speak to me. Oh no. <laughs> he, <laughs> I'm sorry. he won't speak to me. At least 
yeah, he he just won't. They're not letting like Dungeons and Dragons is just locking it down. They're like influencers only, and I'm like, mm. I really don't know what was happening. I know that like some influencers, like the the interviews that have come out with him with other folks have sort of led people to like he has said that lawyers basically suggested creative commons and the creative team at Dungeons Dragons kind of like jumped on that really fast and was like sure yes let's do it so it's not something that they necessarily planned um I think that's the biggest observation here is that they fucked up really really badly and they had no idea how to handle it and it's in the Creative Commons now, which, as I understand, under current law, we can't really take back. So that happened. <laughs> no, they can't take it back. Creative Commons is run by this this other entity, which I believe is a nonprofit that sort of maintains a license to keep it up to date with law, with like contemporary copyright law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's in the Creative Commons. They can't touch it. They can't take it back like they can't change it like it's there that's it which is very very fun for me personally i like it and i i think that's interesting i think the future of gaming is going to be very interesting to see what happens now we're coming yeah. close to time mm-hmm. could you tell the listeners where they can check your stuff out maybe what they should check out and where they can find you online yeah absolutely so unfortunately gosh i really hate to tell people this but twitter is the best place to find me uh, I'm at Lynn Codega, L-I-N-C-O-D-E-G-A. I post a lot of my work there and that's sort of where I I like social media. That's where I social. And then you can find my work on io9.com and that's I as in <laughs> Iowa, O as in Oklahoma, nine as in the number dot com. <laughs> and I'm all over that site. So you can Excellent. find me there. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been great getting to hear from you, getting to chat. Thank you. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, I did okay. I, I'm not <laughs> totally. I'm I'm very much proud to be a, a card carrying union member, but I'll admit to maybe not knowing all the details. Oh, you know what? You, you know what? I I I'm not looking for the most educated and the most professional and the most posh. I'm looking for working class folk who have to live this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am definitely. I would I would say I'm working class. That's horrible. All right. I'm paycheck to paycheck like everyone else. That's that's that's, that's, that's what I want to hear from. <laughs> yep. Thank you very much for your time. It's been great. Thank you the so time. much. Yeah. I hope you have a great day. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, please give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook. Search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on TikTok and Twitter at Logar Harold Crom. We're on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.